In this series of Lausanne Europe 2020 podcasts, we introduce some of the speakers of the planned multiplex sessions, uh, which will happen at the gathering in Poland in October. With me now is Usha Reifsneider, who uh, works for the Center for Missionaries from the Majority World, based in the UK. Usha is born in the UK of Indian migrant workers and grew up in a Hindu home. How were you introduced to the gospel? With Hinduism, it's not as defined a religion um, as Western academia um, makes it. So to incorporate Christian practices was not a problem. So there was a teacher at our school um, and she, she taught the 10, 11 year olds. And um, she said to my older sister, would you like to come to Sunday school? So my mother and father were thrilled because here's an English woman who's considered you know, a prestigious woman because she's white and she's a teacher and um, she's inviting our family to do something with her. So um, every Sunday she would pick us up in her car and she would take us to church, um, to Sunday school, children's church. And um, so we would go to the church on Sundays and around um, probably about five or six years after I started going to church, a new Hindu temple was built in our town in the West Midlands. So I would go to church and I would go to the mandir, which is um, the Hindu temple, yeah. Yes. Um, so when did you uh, uh, receive Christ then? Okay, so um, I was going to church from about the age of five and um, at the age of 10, I saw a missionary for the first time and that's when I decided that I would one day be a missionary. Um, and then at the age of, between the age of 10 and 11, I read um, the King James Version of the Bible and I read Shakespeare uh, because my older sister was studying Shakespeare. And uh, I, I heard the messages at church every Sunday, but I remember a, a significant moment when um, I would repeat to myself, the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth like the gentle rain from heaven. And um, I used to wonder what that mercy was like and I didn't know the context because it was from The Merchant of Venice by Shakespeare. And then um, there was an, an evangelist that came to town and my school teacher took us all in the car to hear this evangelist. And he shared a message that if you don't respond to the gospel, then um, it's like moving house, living next door to a fire station. And at first the bells will wake you up from fire engines in the middle of the night. But before long, you will become deaf to it and uh, you, you'll not respond anymore. And that's how the gospel, your heart can become dead to, to the prompting of um, the words of Christ. So I thought, I don't want that to happen. So, um, so they said, uh, you know, put your hand up if you want to receive Jesus. So I put my hand up and uh, then they said, um, you know, if you want to receive Jesus, come to the front. So I went to the front and then a young man said to me, um, he gave me this little booklet called His Story. 
And he said, you have to tell people that you became a Christian. And in my mind, I was thinking that's the last step. You put your hand up, you go forward and you tell people. So in order for me to be a Christian, I had to go home and tell somebody. So I went home and I told my older sister who was 18 and she said, yeah, I, tr I tried that once, it doesn't work. So I told my mother and my mother said, you can't be a Christian. Christianity is for white people. We're Hindu, you're born a Hindu and you die a Hindu. So uh, I said, no, actually, I choose to be a Christian because this is what the Bible said. So she said, um, you know, it will not make you English. Changing your religion will not make you English. We are Indian. That's what we are. So uh, then I said, no, I'm a Christian. So then she became quite angry. And um, so she slapped me a little bit. And I said, no, because I had just done the play of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego at church the Sunday before. So I said, no, I no, I know I can be a Christian. And so in every Hindu home, there is a little place where the gods are placed, the icons. It could be a shelf, it could be um, a table, it could be even a whole room. And that's where daily prayers are done in the morning. And this was the evening. And uh, my mother said, um, right now we're going to light the Niva, which is like a homemade candle, and you're going to uh, pray. And I said, no, I'm not. So, uh, you know, uh, Indian people, um, the, we, we're disciplined with a leather shoe, the leather shoe that the women wear. So there's no, uh, you know, reasoning. <laughs> they just, you know, they just take off the shoe and they whack you. So my mother whacked me a few times. So I thought, well, okay, I will just um, pretend to cry. And so I pretended to cry and she stopped. She said, now pray. So I bowed my head and I said to myself, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And she said, that's not good enough. You need to get down on your knees. I said, I will not get down on my knees. So, you know, um, we're five children, very unruly. And my mother kept um, a cane from a branch, uh, from a tree in the garden. And she took out the cane and she whipped me with the cane. And then it was hurting a lot. So I thought, I'll go down on my knees and I will say my prayers. So I went down on my knees and I said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. She said, that's not good enough. Your head must touch the ground. I said, my head will not touch the ground. Then she beat me viciously, harshly. And uh, now I'm crying because I'm in a lot of pain and I can feel the welts on my back. And so I thought, I'll put my head down, but I'll just keep it this far from the ground so she doesn't know. So I put my head down and I said to myself, our Father who art in heaven. And as I said that, she stamped her foot on the back of my head and held my face to the ground. And um, so now I'm weeping and I'm humiliated. And um, I say to myself, well, I just became a Christian and I've already um, bowed down to idols and I've broken this, I've ruined this, you know. And as much as one can hear the Holy Spirit, 
I believe that God said to me at that time, you're standing up on the inside. No one can make you a Christian and no one can take it away. So um, my mom took my Bible and uh, she stopped me from going to Sunday school. And uh, I knew that I was a Christian inside. And a few weeks later, the Gideons came to my school and they give everyone a small New Testament. So I kept it under the mattress and I, in the, in the evening, I would, the light from the street light would come into my room and I would open the curtain and I would read little bits of it. And sometimes at school, uh, some of the teachers and students would meet before class started and they would read the day scriptures and I would sometimes go. So my faith was kind of kept alive there for, um, for a number of years. How old were you at this time? I was 11. I was 11 years old. Yeah. An extremely courageous and strong and clear-minded 11-year-old. Yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was. Not in everything, but certainly in that respect, yeah. So with this kind of background, uh, you, in my opinion, are uniquely qualified for missions work to uh, your own people and to the immigrants from Asia. Interesting, yes. Um, I remember saying to people, before I'd even made this, that, that confession of faith and before I stopped going to church, that when I grew up, I would be a missionary. And the reason I said that was when I saw the missionary slides for the first time, my, my parents worked in a factory. My, my dad worked in a factory. Um, my mother used to take sewing in the house, uh, sweatshop work. Um, I saw in those slides people who were Asian and they were standing up and teaching. They weren't working in a factory. And I thought, I want to do that job. I want to stand up in front of people. That's why I wanted to be a missionary. I hadn't even accepted Jesus yet, but I knew I wanted to be a missionary. And um, so when I used to tell people that, they used to say to me, you can go to Indians. You can go to India. And, and I did not want to go to India because I had been taught at school that Indians were savages that lived in mud huts. That's what my teacher told me. And I remember thinking to myself, I went home and I told my dad, my dad, uh, he said, no. He said, no, India had the Taj Mahal and all these places before England. So I went back and I told my teacher, and my teacher put me outside of the classroom for discipline. And that day, I decided that a white woman who was reading for a book, from a book about India, knew more than my own father. And that authority came from there. So I did not want to go to India. And I thought to myself, if I was white, I could go to any country and be a missionary. But if I'm Indian, I can only go to Indians. I remember thinking that. I remember being trapped by that paradigm. I couldn't articulate it to anyone because anytime, even as I grew older and you know, I was baptized at 19 and I started looking into doing mission work, people would, any agency would say, you can go to India. I would think, I don't, what if I don't want to go to India? So the call was there. So in a sense, the uniqueness um, of, uh, of being a convert 
is more understood now than it was back then. Because back then, when people like me converted, and at baptism especially, uh, we were given new names. Many of the converts that I know gave up completely on their Indian identity. Many ran away from home because we were told that um, we could not, anything that was Indian was Hindu, and anything that was Hindu was contrary to the word of God. We couldn't go into our own home because there were idols there, and our parents were against us. That's what they told us, because they didn't have God. And so there was a created enmity between us that pushed us away from our families, and we became English. We became British in order to be Christian. So this leads us into the topic for your multiplex decolonizing missions. Uh, how, uh, why do you see that as necessary? And, well, um, and what will what will a decolonized missions endeavor look like? Well, let me just say that um, I'm not saying that there is nothing of value coming from anything that was colonized. That's historical and we, it's God that moves people around the earth, in my opinion, and according to scripture. But um, what happened is that mission became the work of the empire. And I'm speaking from a British context, but really William Carey's method of doing mission um, became how mission, the lens for mission, even today, that uh, along with the Bible, he took with him his own culture. And at that time, uh, Britain was very influential in the world. And um, so, so Christianity looked like it was Western, even though it was not. And of course, we are all vessels, we are all influenced. And so wherever we go, we take that influence with us. We don't just take the Bible. We take ourselves as the vessel that carries the Bible. And so inadvertently, um, I recognized one day uh, after being a missionary for 25 years that all of my life, I had looked at a person that looked like you, a white man, right? Sometimes the face was like mine. Sometimes it was female, sometimes it was black. But what came out of his mouth is the white voice. And what that voice was saying is, be like me so you can reach people like you. And Revelation 7, 9 says there'll be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, we have no problem with nation and tongue, but we have a problem with tribe because tribe speaks of the cultural contexts. So what I want to look at is, is there room in the cultural context that I am from for Jesus and the redemptive power of who Jesus is? So when I think about decolonizing mission, it's not that everyone has to do it my way, the British Indian, the British Gujarati way, but that everyone can take the scripture and remove from it as they choose, as they see fit, things that are not essential to who Jesus is in my life, but that are peripheral and negotiate culturally. Um, and so I'm not talking about contextual mission, 
I'm not talking about you, for example, telling me, do it from your context. Let me tell you what you should do. Why don't you start wearing Indian clothes? Why don't you eat Indian food? Why don't you do, why do, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for those of us who've come to faith from other cultures to be able to read scripture with our families that are not yet followers of Jesus and say, come, let's reason together. Let's look at this. Let's don't think of Christianity as being an oppressive force, a Western religion. Look at Christianity outside of those things and what it can mean to you as a person, to you as a family. Let me take that journey with you instead of dragging you through a, an English context or a, a British or European context or my context. So, yeah. Does that work? Have you tried this with your family? Yes, I have. I have actually. Yes, indeed. And what happened? Well, um, after living in England for 50 years, my parents moved back to India. And um, through my own extraction, cultural extraction, I had become very Western in my Christianity. And um, I had left, when I became baptized, I left my family, which many of us converts from Islam, uh, Hinduism, Sikhism, Buddhism, are encouraged to do. Uh, not, not necessarily directly. But um, so I was very, uh, I had a lot of animosity. There was a lot of animosity between us for um, about 25 years. And um, my parents, after moving to India, my mother, uh, she visited the US and we had moved to the US. My husband is, by the way, um, white American. Um, and she, she, my mother came to the US and asked to see me. And uh, she asked to, um, to go to church. Um, and uh, she had been to church when we were children because we were all singers. Our, my family is a family of musicians. So she had been to church and she had enjoyed, but she didn't want the exclusivity at that time. She thought that Christianity was a white man's religion. But she came to church and um, she wanted prayer. And uh, so she asked for prayer. And as they were giving, as they were praying, they were giving communion. So I said to my mom, this is communion. And I said to the pastor, my mother is not a follower of Jesus. And um, she said, today I want to be. And so she, she um, decided that she would become a follower of Jesus. Um, she went back to India. She never went back to the temple herself because she became very ill. And um, she, she passed away uh, four years later. Uh, not being able to speak, to walk, or to talk, but she could hear. Um, and the day that she died, I am uh, kind of, uh, how can I say, I'm in some ways skeptical in the area of, of visions, but I had one vision, and I saw my mother. She was lying in the, my living room in America. She stood up. She was dressed in a sari. She was waving to me. And clearly she was going to a wedding. And I thought, it can't be my mother. My mother hasn't walked. It can't be my mother. My mother is in India. 20 minutes later, I got a phone call from my brother-in-law saying that my mother had passed away. So I went to India and I shared this with the family and the other people. Anyway, so years went by. And then uh, about four years ago, my father was taken ill in India. I went to see him. Uh, from the moment that I arrived, June 8th, 
2015, my father started having visions of Jesus. And uh, he started asking me, um, was there ever anyone that was born that was sinless? I said, yeah. I said, I believe Jesus was. And he started having visions of my mother in heaven, visions of Jesus. And then um, I brought him to UK to visit my brother. And while he was in uh, UK, he was taken into hospital. And um, one night, uh, he just started asking me about Jesus. And I played him music uh, that was written by a, a man called Chris Hale, where he took Indian songs um, and he, he used them to communicate the gospel. And um, I used to play them to my father. And then I said to him uh, one day, um, uh, Bapuji, which means father, respected father, can I pray for you? And he said, yes. I said, can I pray for you in the name of Jesus? He said, yes. I said, what would you like me to pray? He said, I want you to pray that all my sins would be forgiven. So I prayed that prayer in Gujarati. And I used Prabhu Isu rather than Lord Jesus, which means Lord Jesus, but just in our language. And I, I used um, the terms for sin instead of using the English term I used the Gujarati term and um, and my father prayed with me and um, ten days later he passed away in my arms and so um, I think the biggest obstacle to my parents coming to faith was me trying to force them to be something that they were not instead of looking at who Jesus is. They have no problem in believing that Jesus is God. No problem that Jesus removes sin. But what they couldn't see is a Jesus that had blonde hair and blue eyes and destroyed their culture. This is a very moving story. Do you, um, uh, are there, uh, mission organizations or mission work, uh, yourself included, that now work uh, in uh, along the lines that you have just so movingly described? Um, there, there are certainly some good sounds and I am now in a very fortunate, blessed position that I'm being listened to because I no longer feel um, that tension with um with who i am as a woman with who i am as a convert with who i am as a non-white follower of jesus the majority of the world's christians are no longer white we know that but the majority of the thinking even if it comes from the non-white people is still very much in that one mode oh somehow i lost power well i can still hear you sorry <laughs> um so yes, so so what's happening is that the agencies are now um, asking, what can we do? What can we do? The thing is, they're looking for strategies. They want to build a framework that if we do this, 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 and this, then we'll get this result. But it's not frameworks. It's not strategies that we need. It's tactics. And the tactics are alongside tactics. They're not your tactics or mine. They're walking alongside it little by little. And we're not looking for factory type uh, 
production of Christians. We're not looking for a thousand hands raised and taking a photograph. We're looking to walk alongside people. And yes, there are many, um, I've been in conversation with um, many mission agencies here in Britain, and um, I am beginning to develop a plan uh, of uh, looking at, at, at um, what the majority world Christians, those of us that are first generation converts, because we're fervent, we're fervent. We want people to know how we reach immediately. And then looking at practical aspects of how that can be incorporated with the church in Britain or America, wherever they are, because we are living here. So your context is also important, right? And then looking broadly at how people like me can go from reaching one on one, working alongside the church and working alongside the community to actually now producing academic material that takes our voices in a way that makes sense to the Western world as well as the majority world. You're talking about uh, academic material. I understand that you are now working on your PhD thesis. Is that about this? Yes, yes. I'm looking at some um, transcultural aspects of, uh, of uh, conversion and looking more at the journey rather than the opposite ends. So instead of looking at one day I was there to one day I'm that, it's looking at the process and how many people come along on that process. Well, we wish you the best uh, in your in academic endeavors and also in your uh, you walk as a missionary alongside uh, your people and, and other people. And uh, I'm sure that uh, your uh, multiplex will be very valuable and strategic in Poland in October. Thank you.